the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Are you looking for truth from God's Word that you can understand and apply to your life? You'll find it today on Make It Clear with Dr. Stan Pons. Listen now as Stan makes it clear. I have to tell you that I feel a little funny being up here preaching like this with this music stand because I'm used to this big, beautiful koa pulpit that we have here. But that's not really what makes me feel uncomfortable preaching up here this morning. Standing before you, it's because to represent the baby Jesus, he's here at my feet when truly in my heart I'm at his feet. And so if you can just for a moment know that in my heart I'm really kneeling before my Savior, not standing up while he's in some little uh, manger thing here. But again, this is our holiday time that we celebrate Jesus Christ and his birth. And I really have to tell you that some of you might be thinking, um, hey, how come you're not giving a Christmas message? Well, I will a little bit more next week. But this is a Christmas message, even though in Romans, because we're in a section of Scripture that really talks about, in other words, why did Jesus come? And because he came, how does that relate to us? Well, the person and the work of Christ is so huge that there's so much about Christ that relate to us. But that which gets us into Christ and into Christianity is through the door of Jesus Christ and faith alone in Christ. And that's why even though we remember Christ's birth, we remember he was really born to die as our Savior and then rise again from the dead so that we could have everlasting life. And so the main theme that we've been covering over the last, oh, maybe month and a half, maybe two months, has been that salvation is by faith alone in Christ alone. Now, we have a number of guests that are here today, and some of them are on a wonderful journey of discovering Jesus Christ and discovering Christianity. And we've all been on that journey at times like they are now, and so we welcome them on that journey. And so for them, I may be a little bit um, explanatory to them so they can understand where we are rather than just jump into a message assuming that they might know. So first of all, we're studying one of the 66 books in the Bible. The book is called the Book of Romans. It was authored by God through the ministry of the Holy Spirit, inspiration into a person by the name of Paul. He then was also an apostle. And so he was writing to a church that was a great distance from him that he wanted to get to, but he couldn't get there yet, so he wrote him a letter, just like you would write a letter to a friend. Now, when he would write to those people, he often would give much spiritual truths for those people so that, first of all, they would know how to connect better to God now and for eternity, but also how to connect with one another. This particular letter that was written to a church in Rome, the church in Rome, not the Roman Catholic Church, but just a church of believers in Rome, was to make sure they understood as a foundational truth that salvation was by faith alone. But it's a wonderful book because the book really starts out, if you want to look at it in the entirety of it, like being way up in the air. Over this last uh, three or four days, being with the students from Northwestern University at their debriefing, we went on a hike 
we had some time and we decided to walk from the camp, Homolani, which is the Salvation Army camp on the North Shore. And so we drove a little bit past the Dillingham Field and then we parked our car by the beach and then we walked almost a kind of point. And while we did, it was neat to watch these kids look at the ocean and see what was going on. And the thing that seemed to captivate them also was how many of those small airplanes would take off Dillingham, fly around, pulling another airplane behind them called a glider. And these planes would get up to about 10,000 feet and they'd unhook their little leash and that glider would be 10,000 feet high. And I've never been on one of those gliders, not even here in Hawaii, but I can only imagine how beautiful it must be when you're in a glider with no engine and all you have is a glider pilot in front of you, you behind him. You might hear the, the whistle of the wind that might be blowing through the cockpit, but as they would tip the wings back and forth and glide through the air, how they could see our beautiful North Shore. I wish those rides would last a lot longer. You pay a lot of money for maybe an hour ride. And as it circles, it gets lower and lower and lower. So you get a chance to see Oahu, at least, from a high distance. And then it gets closer and closer. And then pretty soon, all you're seeing is the runway. And it's about that time that you start really grabbing, thinking you might crash. Why am I telling you that story? If you listen very carefully, I'm going to take you on a real quick journey, up high in a glider, so you understand the book of Romans. Again, if you'll follow with me, you will still see how God maps out the plan of salvation in the person and work of Christ by faith alone as it connects to Christianity in our life. The first part of the book, we're at 10,000 feet now, begins to talk about how sinful all mankind is. And it talks about how sinful we are and it describes sinners, if I could use that term, it's a term we hardly ever use today. People who miss the mark of God's perfection would probably be a better term that they really could be identified in three different groups. The first group would be the ones that tend to be more rebellious against anything that has to deal with God, and they create their own gods. And so they're a sinner because they have denied this God, our God, the true God, the only God. And then you have the next group, which would be those that tend to be a little bit more, we might say, self-righteous people. They're the ones that think that uh, just by doing a whole lot of good works, they can get into heaven. So they say, I'm not like those heathen over there. I do a lot of good deeds. In fact, I live a life to add value to other people. And then it moves to the third crowd, which would be the religious crowd. These are the ones that says, not only are we not like those rebellious people, and not only are we not like those really good people, we are really religious. We have the best of the world of being good to other people, but we really love God. But they add a lot to it, a lot of rules, rituals and regulations and in a sense that's how we begin chapter 4 of Romans because now after he identified the crowd of people he identified their tremendous need for a savior so he moved from sin to salvation and we spent a lot of weeks again understanding what salvation is and how that we can be saved especially through here it is the dynamic of faith now, if you'll give me a moment, I'm going to return back to that because we're going to spend a little bit more time on that area and we'll put that to rest in our study of Romans. But I want to go a little bit further in the book of Romans so you know where we're headed. After he moved away from sin and salvation, then he starts talking about that not only are you saved, but that you are secure in Christ. That means once you trust Christ as Savior, you'll never be kicked out of his family. You'll never lose your salvation. Nothing can separate you from the love of God that you are his forever. But he moves beyond that and he now teaches us about sanctification. Now that's a word we never use, or at least we don't unless we're studying the Bible in some theology class. So let me explain very simply what that is. We're now learning how that because we've trusted Christ, 
as a Christian now, we're set apart for a purpose. So those of you who know Christ as Savior, you've gone down your journey of discovering a faith and you've now taken your little faith, but you put it in Christ as the Lord and Savior. You now have the forgiveness of sin. So you now are on a road to sanctification, learning about how that you're set apart for a purpose and living a life that pleases the Lord. Not to be saved, not to stay saved, but because you are. But it doesn't end there. As we're still circling over Oahu and our glider, we're also looking at our life as a Christian and we see this. We see that he's going to talk about something that's very, very important. And that would be the sovereignty of God. So we have to see that God has a plan for the world and all the universe for us. And with all of that plan, he's a very sovereign God. Let me say it simply. That he is large and in charge while he's being near and dear. A phrase we use a lot around here. So we're going to see the sovereignty of God that every moment of your day, the Lord is involved in it in a very active way. But he just doesn't talk about his sovereignty. The book then ends with a very important area, and that is our service. We know we're set apart. We know we're secure in the Lord. We know he's sovereign. But now what are we going to do with our salvation? Is it just reduced to fire insurance so I don't go to hell? No, 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 no. Actually, our life now is hid in Christ and we have a wonderful, joyful life of being able to come alongside others and explain to them that precious and wonderful and joyful message that salvation for them, like for us, is by faith alone in Jesus Christ. And now we live to help others come to know Christ, but also to help them to grow to become a fully obedient worshiper of God. So it's not just evangelism. It's helping them to know all the teachings of the Lord. Now, that's the book of Romans as a 10,000-foot level as you look at it. Now, if you don't mind, let's come down almost ready to land our glider. As we get ready to land it, let me go over just a little bit of what we've talked about in the last few weeks in honor of our guests who are here. We know that Jesus Christ came and he died and he rose again. It wasn't an accidental birth and all of a sudden a religion began and the poor guy got killed at the end so we feel sorry for him and so we follow him as a dead martyr and some people say he's alive. No, he's not that. He is God in the flesh and next week we'll talk more about that part. But let me go back now again in history because it's important for you to know that God's plan just doesn't automatically begin at any old time, that there's a major plan. In the Bible there are 66 books. We're looking at Romans. The first book of the Bible is Genesis, which means the book of beginnings. So in the beginnings, he is now explaining this plan of salvation. Now, so beautiful here in Hawaii, and I remember one of our wonderful kids that are in college right now. When we moved to the island, she decided that she asked us, do you like flowers? And Carol said, I sure do. And she said, do you like birds of paradise? And I said, yeah, I like those. If you've ever seen a bird of paradise, how beautiful they are. And so she says, don't worry, I got a surprise for you next week. I couldn't wait to next week because I love those bird of paradise. They're so pretty and they're so, they last so long. And she was so kind and she came up to us the next week and she handed us a package of bird of paradise seeds and says, here, I hope you enjoy these. So we've taken those seeds over the last six years. We planted them and I have to tell you, we've got some wonderful green leaves, but no flowers yet. Now, some of you might be thinking, well, is that plant ever going to produce? Here's the phrase in its perfect time. Well, now, using that as an illustration, this whole concept of salvation in the person of Christ really began in a seed. Was the seed an essence, a bird of paradise? Yes. What we're going to teach you that went back further, was that truth? Was that a seed? Yes. 
But as time goes on, this seed then grows into the beauty of Jesus Christ, the one born and laid in a manger who became our Savior through the cross. But he's not just that. He went from the cradle to the cross, but he's going to rule and reign, so he'll be wearing a crown. So he's going to continue to grow in his influence and exposure. And the world will then transform and change because of that. So now let me go back to that seed again. A lot of people were on the earth then. God in his sovereignty, he decided to select one man. He was a Gentile, very much like some of you, all right? So as he picked this one man, not because he was great, but because God in his infinite wisdom said, this man and this woman, I'm going to plant a special promise on them. Now that promise really opened up into six promises. We studied those last week. I won't go over all of them today. But I do want you to know the key part of that promise is to that person. He said, from you, you are going to then have many children, so many so. We're going to call it people. You'll have so many people that the whole world will be blessed. And the blessing is going to come from, watch this, one of your seeds in that seed of your family. And that person then would become the Messiah. He said, you'd have people. You'd have posterity. You would also have a place. Now, for those of you who are new here today, this might help you like it helped me. And that is, I wanted to know what's so special about this particular group. There are a lot of different groups and ethnic groups. This was the beginning of the Jewish nation, the Jewish people. Now, that's important because we know that Jesus was a Jew. So now Paul uses Abraham as an illustration of the promise of God placed upon him and then what Abraham did in response to that promise that even brings us all here today. If you're with me so far, can you say, "Uh uh-huh? All right, now that you're that far. Now for our guests, you might be asking, what about this guy named Abram or Abraham? Why is he so special? Well, we do know this about him. He's probably the most well-known person in all the different religions in the world. We would think Christ would be, and he probably is, but not as respected as this man. His name is Abraham. Would you say that word with me? Abraham. Abraham was well-respected by those who are Jewish people. He's well-respected by the Muslims. He's also very well-respected by Christians. So he really kind of transcends all these different groups. And yet is the Abraham of Scripture defined in Scripture that defines who he really is and what he has done. And that from him, we now have not only a Savior, but the concept of ourselves being saved by faith alone in the Savior. Now, as a general statement about Abraham's life, we would look at Abraham and that he did demonstrate a bunch of faith. The Lord spoke to him and said, Abraham, you've got to leave this area and go to this area. So he left not knowing where he would go. He took part of his family, all of his flocks, all of what he had, and he went to an area that he hadn't been to before. That took faith. So if you look at his life in Scripture, it was marked by periods of faith. If you also look at his life, you will find that occasionally it was marked by wavering faith, at times maybe even disobedience. Whatever it might be, though, there were times of faith. Now, what I want to speak to today, and this is what we will be bringing the message to and then a conclusion is, what kind of faith did Abraham have that resulted in salvation? And then how do we apply that faith that he had today? So I'm going to take a portion of scripture and we're going to identify what kind of faith Abraham had and to see where you are on your growth of faith 
if you might have that same faith, and then how to apply it today in salvation. So if you have your Bibles, if you have perhaps some notes in front of you, you can. There's Bibles in the uh, chairs around you. You can kind of look under there and pick one out if you'd like. The title of this message is How Faith Alone in Christ Results in Eternal Salvation. So what does Abraham's faith look like? So there's going to be five facts about Abraham's faith, but I don't want them to be just dusty facts like dead orthodoxy. I want to kind of speak to these and make some applications so we can see it along the way. So the first is that he had faith in God's promise. And I think that is so rich to know that, that he had a promise that he received from the Lord. He had six promises. The heartbeat of that promise is that from him he'd be the father of many nations. So it says here, in hope against hope he believed so that he might become a father of many nations. What a promise that God is. Faith in his promise. Have any of you um, grown up in a home that you had a parent who made promises to you and often did not keep those promises? I won't ask you to raise your hand. I won't embarrass you, but maybe in your own heart you can answer that question. I grew up in a home where my dad and mom, they didn't make promises, therefore they didn't break promises. In my home, we grew up with, we'll see, we'll try, but we never had a promise really made to us by mom and dad. So most of my life, I often um, hold people around me when they say they're going to do something, often in suspect. In fact, I, I don't really know that they're going to do that. And that translates into my life that I micromanage people a lot. And if you don't believe me, just uh, ask the staff and ask Carol because I'm not sure it's going to get done. So in a sense, I'm having to overcome that area of my life. I'm grateful that I'm surrounded by people that when they say they're going to do something, they get it done. But they will be the first to admit that nobody is a better promise maker and a promise keeper than God. And God made a promise. Now what's so interesting about Abraham is it says here, hope against hope, he believed. Now if you read the context, here's what you would find. You have his hope, and then you have this other hope, and they're kind of like crashing into one another right here. Here he hears a promise from God. And God says that from you, Abraham, and your wife, Sarah, you're going to have a lot of kids. That's a promise that he is hearing from the Lord. And so as he's hearing that, he's now looking at himself and he's saying, I'm dead. My body is basically dead. I'm impotent. My wife has passed menopause. So there's no way we're ever going to be able to have children. So you have the hope of what I hear from God. I look at my body and I know that I can't do this thing. So it's hope against hope. But here's the thing. It says he had hope against hope. So he believed in the promise of God that God is one who can make a promise and he could keep a promise. So for you in your walk of faith right now, you have to come to a point that you realize that God is a promise maker, but he's so powerful because he is all powerful that he can keep that particular promise. You know, when I uh, hand a Bible to someone, often as I hand them that Bible, I tell them, while you will not really hear an audible voice of the Lord, the Lord does speak to us and he makes promises to us just like he did to the people in the Bible. So he's just as much relevant to us today as he was then. So in a sense, I'm not giving you just a Bible. I'm giving you a God promise book. Can you say that with me? A God promise book? God promise book. So when you give to your children the Bible, you're giving them God's promise book. Now for those of you, you know that there are primarily two kinds of promises. There are promises that are conditional. If you do this, I promise to do that. You've been like that yourself? Kids, if you clean up your room, I'll take you for shave ice, all right? So I promise you do your part, I do mine. There are conditional promises of the Lord. Then there are promises from the Lord that he says, no matter what you do, I'm going to do this no matter what. And with Abraham, 
there was an unconditional promise that from you, all the nations of the world would be blessed. So if you want to strengthen your life in the Lord, I want you to realize that God does make promises and those promises are promises that you can count on. Now, frankly, I like those promises. Here's one promise I like. I like the promise that when it says, he that believes on me has everlasting life, that if I believe in him, I have everlasting life. I love that promise. I love the promise that says that if I believe in him, I could know that I have eternal life. I love that promise. You know a promise I don't like? Whom the Lord loves, he chastens and he spanks and these kinds of things. Who likes that? You know, I remember my mom. When your dad gets home, you're going to get a licking. I can remember some of the lickings I got from my dad. I remember the beginning of it, but I think I zoned out somewhere in the middle of it. It was gone. So I like the good promises from the Lord and not some of the ones that I don't think are so good. Now, are you tracking with me? Stay with me. Just remember that all of God's promises are good because he always has your best interest in mind and his glory in view. All right, let's look at the second fact here about his particular faith that he had. He had faith in God's promise, and I really like that. But he also had faith based on God's word. We talked about that a moment ago, but look back at the verse again. It says here, According to that which had been spoken, so shall your descendants be. Well, let's look up here for a moment. Back in the Bible days, they didn't have a lot recorded. They certainly didn't have it translated. They certainly didn't have printing presses back then. So what they would call it would be an oral tradition. A lot of those oral traditions were backed up by... When the prophet would say something, if it came to pass, especially with such a big promise, a big, big foretelling, then we knew that God was behind them until the word of God was then given. So a moment ago, I talked about the Bible being a promise book. Now I can talk about it as being, here's a phrase, God's mind on paper. Would you say that with me? God's mind on paper. So if I want to know how God thinks, then I need to get into this. He has spoken. I need to listen. It is written. I need to read. He wants me to know. Therefore, I have to abide in this word. So God's word here is for us today. Now, I have to tell you, sometimes when I go through life, there are challenges. I I call them stages of panic. I picked this up from somebody else, and I liked it so well, I want to share it with you and see if you have the stages of panic when sometimes we know that God is out there, we've studied Him long enough, but we still waver. The first time is you go through a particular crisis. As soon as that crisis hits, depends on where you are in your Christian walk, but usually most Christians that are, are beginning to walk with the Lord, when that crisis first hit, they know enough to say, you know what, I know God will take care of me. A loss of job, a comment from a doctor, your accountant says that you're way behind on some bill you might have to do something with. You have this, I know he can take care of me. A week later, nothing's happened in the crisis. So now it's, um, I think he can. I think he can help me. I know he can. I think he can. I know he can. I think he can. Three or four weeks later after that, it moves from the I know to I think to, I don't know. I, I hope he does. I, I hope he takes care of me. Some of you that are listening to me this morning might have already had a crisis and you've already had the beginning of it. I know he'll take care of me and it hadn't changed much. And all of a sudden you move to the, I hope he can and I think he can. And maybe you're at the fourth stage and I've been there too. And that stage is, there ain't no way he's going to help me. It just seems like everything is going wrong. Nothing is getting better. seems like every time I do something, it gets worse and worse and worse. If I touch it, it breaks. If I have it, it gets stolen. My whole world is just shattered around me. There's no way. And then you get to the fifth stage. You know what the fifth stage is? 
I'm so glad he did this for me. Have you been in that stage? Now, here's what I think is quite interesting. I think often that the Lord, like he did with Abraham, telling him this is what's going to happen, and all of a sudden he sees he can't, body's dead, etc. We start out with, I know, but the Lord takes us through stage one, stage two, stage three, stage four, until we get to stage five, and then we finally say, I knew he could do it, he did it, look what he did, and we now do what? Glorify the Lord. And some of you right now are at those various stages, and I would like for you to just hang on to the Lord and remember the illustration of that bird of paradise seed and how that soon God is going to do some great things in your life. Not a name it and claim it. It may not be exactly what you want, but when it's all said and done, you're going to look back and say, He did that for me. He provided for me. Well, that's when we believe in His Word. He does what He says He's going to do. Here's the third fact of faith, and that is what we might call faith during impossible situations. Faith during impossible situations. Let me read this passage to you. It says here, Without becoming weak in faith, he contemplated his own body, which means he faced the facts. He looked at his own body. Remember, Abraham is so old, he's impotent. His wife passed menopause, so therefore they cannot, uh, you know, have a child. So he looks at his own body. He faces the fact. He says, now as good as dead. He's not dead, but as good as dead sexually, at least uh, to be able to procreate, he's dead. You're listening to Make It Clear with the teaching of Dr. Stan Pons, founder of Make It Clear Ministries. Make It Clear is dedicated to taking the Word of God with clarity into every person's world. It is the support of listeners like you who make the ministry of Make It Clear possible. You can provide your tax-deductible gift to Make It Clear online by going to makeitclear.org or you can mail your gift to Make It Clear, P.O. Box 607-901, Orlando, Florida, 32860. Thank you for helping us Make It Clear. If you would like to have Dr. Pond speak at your church or event, please send us an email at tellmemore at makeitclear.org. Thank you, and remember to make it clear. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.